time once again to throw some more bagels. Welcome to the Throwing Bagels podcast. Kevin Mooney here with you alongside Jay Hamo. Hey, Jason. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? I am great. Go Michigan. How are you? Yes, I'm doing great. I'll be better <laughs> later if Michigan wins. All right. Uh, Chris Douglas here too. Hey, Chris. <laughs> hey, Kevin. Is it a gold blue? Should it be gold blue? Go blue. Yes. It is go blue. That is uh, correct. Also the victors. <laughs> At the time of our conversation, the Michigan is playing in the national championship game. So I know. So it's going on behind Jason's back. He's got the game paused right now because he doesn't want to miss any of it. So exactly. we'll, we'll try to get Jason in and out of this as soon as we can. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so joining us now on the Throwing Bagels podcast, another spectacular guest. He's a 12 time Emmy award winning multimedia journalist. Content creator at Robert Half and creator and host of the YouTube channel Plants with Kevin, all right, which has thousands of followers and almost half a million views. So please welcome, yeah, as fellow Oswego alumni from 2006, the one and only Kevin Torres. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on your show. No, same here. Uh, and you're joining us from downtown Denver, Colorado. Where... Yeah, where it is, uh, balmy 26 degrees here in the Rocky Mountain West. Uh, you nice. know, <laughs> it's, it reminds me of Oswego. So there you go. I would say, I would say, yes. Minus um, the lake effect snow, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys can have that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see Coors Field right outside your window, right? You're right there. You can, yeah. It's right across the street. Uh, I'll tell you what, yeah, during the uh, home opener and during the summer months, it is constantly busy down here. Uh, but fortunately, you know, I'm up on the top floor and uh, our walls are concrete, so barely hear a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so as a host of Plants with Kevin, you you show people around your, your urban jungle. Um, and how many plants would you say that you own in, in your uh, apartment? That is that is anyone's guess at this point, okay. guys. I mean, you know, I, I stopped counting maybe like two years ago, but definitely over 130, 130 plants. But keep in mind, um, most of those, I would say probably 70% are replicas. So cuttings of current plants that I have that I've made into other plants. Um, mm. Yeah, really exciting stuff, huh? <laughs> Can now, you is explain that a little bit? Yeah, a process called uh, propagation. So basically, like if you have a... Um, you know, uh, uh, like, let's take this ZZ plant. Uh, and I know that you guys can't see who are listening in, but you, you folks know if you've seen a ZZ plant or any kind of plant, like a philodendron or so, basically you end up just cutting at a part where there's a, a node. And so you just put it in water and then you just wait a couple of weeks, month, month plus, and then it grows roots. And then you pot them up and uh, you make replicas of those same plants. And so I've been doing that for several years now. And I love uh, making them as gifts for friends, families, uh, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's really neat. And it's a really easy way to kind of add into your collection if you're looking to create an urban jungle. Though I highly, highly suggest before you do that, think about it. Because <laughs> there is not a day that goes by where I don't have at least several hours of plant chores to do. <laughs> oh man. I was going to ask you that. What, what does your daily plant care routine look like? Uh, you know, it's all over, it's all over the map, Kev. It is, uh, it starts in the morning and then ends right before I usually go to bed. And uh, so, yeah, in between there is work and all that good stuff, but yeah, mm. it's kind of all over the place. It's not so much a, a race. It's more of a marathon is what it comes down to. You mentioned the though about propagation um my sister-in-law lee has a pretty has a forest right in her home office uh down on uh staten island and uh, so we, she'll talk about plants every now and again but she brought up a uh, question of uh, tissue culture which is like another form of propagation like what are the differences between those two you know, I'm still looking into um, uh, tissue culture and trying to understand more of what it is. But my understanding is more of like a cloning type process that is kind of more scientific based. But yeah. it, is, it is allowing for a lot of uh, rare plants that even two years ago would have cost several thousand dollars uh, to be super affordable for people to just purchase like, uh, you know, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks. So it's really mm -hmm. interesting. And so many, so many people got involved in plants. 
uh, during the pandemic, including myself, and I really ramped up my collection. And plants were selling them for thousands of dollars, these rare plants. Jeez. And I, people were spending so much. It was the the most amount of money and time that people were putting into houseplants since the, uh, I believe it was the late 60s, early 70s, when houseplants really got uh, brought into people's homes and kind of became part of their interior design decor. But it's, yeah, the amount of money that people were making off of it, uh, plants was, was insane. And, you know, I was selling plants too, because I was propagating them and selling them up, but definitely not for that amount of money. I love <laughs> making plants at a cheap price uh, to make them affordable to uh, give to people. But yeah, that 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 was something during the pandemic for sure. So what, what advice would you give people like uh, if they wanted to start, you know, plant care? And because you provide, like you just said, like cost conscious advice, and it sounds like it can get really expensive. So what what advice would you give people if they wanted to start up? I would say, and it's the biggest mistake that people make and definitely a mistake that I made early on was I would go into a plant shop or a place that sells plants and, uh, you know, grocery store, et cetera. And I would just look at a plant and be like, oh, that's really beautiful. And I really want to bring that home. And so I would just purchase it without doing any research. Simply open up your phone and usually on, you know, the, the pot inside the store, it has the plant's name, Google search it and also add in their care advice, easy care to see whether or not your home is actually going to uh, be beneficial for this plant. Because I can't tell you how many people purchase prayer plants, calatheas as they're called. I mean, you see them in grocery stores all the time. Uh, a week into having them in your home, they're dead because you know a lot of folks don't have high humidity uh, or that kind of stuff that you know folks want or that the plants want. But you know, in Oswego, you guys in upstate New York, you guys have so much great humidity, too much humidity during the summer for my liking. Uh, but here in Denver, Colorado, we lack humidity, especially during the summer months. So uh, yeah, and then also um, uh, another thing is is uh, you know the number one reason probably why people's house plants are dying right now uh, during the winter months is because one, they're not getting enough sunlight. And two, uh, people are probably watering them as frequently as they would during the summer months. You really got to cut back on the watering because without that sunlight, it is uh, not being able to absorb the uh, sunlight and the energy uh, to uh, dry out that soil in time. So a lot of people, number one cause of houseplant death is root rot, where the water just sits there. Do plants fall like in and out of in and out of vogue? And like, do, do you know, are there, are there more popular ones than other ones? Are, are there ones that are kind of like the 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 less popular ones and nobody really wants them? Um, and what are your what what are like the trends that you or are there any trends for like 2024 that that plants that kind of get more popular? A constant trend that that has been happening since the pandemic that people really want is these variegated plants. And that's a plant that's not only green, but has splashes of white in it. Um, you know, different colors of yellow and so forth. And so you see all of these Monstera, uh, we're so used to seeing those Monstera delicioso, so that's typical uh, Monstera that you would have in your home, but people want these ones that are called Monstera albos, Monstera tie constellations, uh, which have splashes of white in them. And they're very expensive plants, but coming down in price, uh, making them more affordable. But yeah, people really like those colors. Um, I would say uh, one of the easiest and best plant selections that people could go with is a Monstera uh, because they are so resilient. You forget to water them. They would love it because they like going with a dry period in between. Same thing with most philodendron. Mm -hmm. Philodendron are super easy to care for plants. And then uh, pothos. Uh, and, you know, another, another thing to point out too is that a lot of people will go and purchase their house plants at a store uh, and they won't look over the plant in time. And what they'll do is they'll just go home and they'll put it next to their other plants. The problem that you run into there is that a lot of these plant shops and like big box retailers like a, a Home Depot or Lowe's, you know, they provide plants through Costa Farms and other places, which are really great um, sellers. But at the same time, when you have so many plants mixed in together, you also have pests that come along with them. And what, oh, yeah. yeah, what happens is if you put them in with your collection, those pests will rapidly and quickly uh, go over and jump from one plant to another. And so if you, let's say, invested so much money into these plants, all of a sudden you're dealing with all these little mites that are climbing everywhere and all that stuff. So a uh, word of advice, one, look over the plant to make sure there's no webbing or any kind of weird stuff that you see on the plant. And then once you bring it home, isolate it, keep it away from your other plants for at least a week or two, and just keep an eye on it to see whether or not anything else pops up during that time. It'll it'll save you a lot of stress and uh, a, a lot of money. 
We all, we all have questions about plants all of a sudden, right? <laughs> From sports to plants. Something like, I never thought I'd really have, but you I know, know, hey. seriously. So is there is there a difference in uh or a difference between indoor and outdoor plants and how you care for each of those? Yeah. Um, you know, I living up here in a, a loft in downtown Denver, I don't have an outside area, so I never bring plants outside. Um, but, you know, so many people during the summer months, especially in upstate New York, will, um, you know, take a lot of their plants outside, which is great because you have the humidity, you have the heat. It's it's wonderful for them. But you have to be cognizant of uh, of the different requirements that are coming along with them. Like if you were to bring a plant outside, most plants, unless you're a succulent or a cacti, don't like direct sunlight. And direct sunlight is when the sun is hitting partially directly on them for several hours throughout the day. Uh, and so they like bright indirect light, basically just like us humans, right? We, we like to be, you know, in the sunshine, but we don't want it hitting our skin for several hours throughout the day because it leads to a lot of problems and same thing yeah. with plants. I mean, you know, their, their, their foliage is so thin in most instances that it'll just scorch right through them and burn them up. And so you have to be really cognizant of, um, uh, of the sunlight when you bring your plants outside. That's a really big thing. And also it, once you have them inside too, you know, don't put them directly in your window where they, where the sunlight will actually tap onto them for several hours throughout the day. Uh, make sure that, you know, they have a little bit of shade tucked away, but still get that bright light. So what do you do in the, you know, in the winter, right? In Denver, you know, not known for their, for their heat in the, uh, in the winter months. No. What do you do to, you know, keep your, do you have like, do you use lamps or anything like that to keep your plants alive or what do you yeah, do exactly? I, I use grow lights. Uh, uh, I have a bunch of them too. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting because grow lights start off mostly as like these, you know, bright purple type of lights. You think of, uh, you know, just kind of these weird looking things that are neon and this and that, but they've made some really aesthetically pleasing ones. And so I have them spread out throughout my, uh, loft here in downtown Denver. And so it's, uh, in situated in different corners because I only have western facing windows and so right now I'm barely getting any light uh natural light coming in uh throughout the day and so it's it's a struggle but yeah I have grow lights throughout and then also um a gigantic spotlight grow light though I kid you not you look into the thing <laughs> it'll leave your eyes blurry for a bit I do not do that anymore um but yeah, <laughs> but yeah I've got I got those things blasting from uh 5 a.m until oh gosh probably like 11 p.m I think is when I have them set to shut off so yeah adding grow lights in during the winter months will be a really 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 beneficial thing and you know a lot of this was stuff that I uh, picked up on during the pandemic when I was working as a news reporter at the time because you know doing so much research and really I mean during lockdown we didn't have a whole lot of stuff to really do and so I just kind of started increasing my plant knowledge and all that stuff and I still continue to do that to this day. You, you mentioned western facing windows so which, which like what would be the preferred direction south. for south okay. oh, my friend yeah south because you have that you know bright indirect sunlight uh, it can be direct unless you you know uh, make sure that it's shaded but yeah south facing because you have several hours throughout the day um east is great if you want to put a plant in direct sunlight in the morning because it only gets a few hours of that you know um dimly lit bright sunlight so it won't really cause harsh and then uh western is uh good during the summer and spring months and Northern facing windows that, that you're just in trouble at that point, you know, <laughs> have, have you, um, have you always been into plants? Uh, not as, not as much as I have been over the last couple of years, but growing up mm. as a, as a kid in Rome, New York, um, not too far from Utica, I, uh, would work for my uncle Frank in high school and throughout college at Oswego. And he owns a, um, he owns a, uh, gosh, why am I blanking on the name right now? <laughs> a landscaping business. There we go. Landscaping business. And so I would do work with him and he would do so much work on flowers and just different designs and so forth for so many clients uh, throughout the greater Rome area. And so I got to learn a lot from him. I was actually back home, I think three weeks ago. Yeah, the week before Christmas and uh, mm -hmm. got to help him with his plants, which was really cool to kind of turn that around and, uh, you know, uh, help the person I learned from really. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to, cause I was going to say, um, you know, if, if you had, like, if you had been into, you know, plants for a long, like, why didn't you major in something like botany, go to a school that had like, you know, instead of, you know, ESF, instead of like journalism. ESF a shout out here. Is what right, you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd, if I'd really want to have gone into 
into it um even now when i look back on it because it's such a hobby of mine that i wouldn't want a hobby to become a profession because i feel like i wouldn't enjoy it uh nearly as much and also i think some of the uh, not that i think i know uh, some of the most educated uh and just the smartest people who've taught me the most about plants are uh people who don't have uh degrees in horticulture or uh botany they're just people who learn through experience actually mm -hmm. the, yeah most of the people who i've who i've learned from uh don't come with a background related to plants did you learn from anyone like through podcast or, or any other youtube channel hosts Oh yeah, I watch uh, YouTube channel hosts all the time. Uh, plant channels like uh, Summer Rain Oaks, um, and uh, she's a really, really probably the most famous plant YouTuber. And she, during the pandemic, did this thing of like uh, uh, one plant a day. And so she'd have like uh, during lockdown, you know, one plant profile a day, and would uh, teach you all about it, bring you to different areas where experts can weigh in and share some really good advice. Uh, I would say some of the um, uh, really, really good ones are this guy, Benji Plants. Uh, he does really great stuff and works a lot with interior design as well. There's this guy out in Sydney, his uh, uh, YouTube channel, Sydney Plant Guy, super educational, or, yeah, super educational guy uh, who teaches you so much about plants and how to care for them. Granted, you know, Sydney, Australia has, uh, you know, different growing conditions than any place else, but the same rules apply. You just have to kind of mimic exactly what the plant would have in its natural habitat. So there's so many really great plant YouTubers out there that uh, have really helped educate me on my journey. Mm -hmm. And I highly suggest YouTube as a, as an educational um, outlet for people who are interested in getting into plants. It's just as simple as putting in the plant name and care tips and, yeah. you know, a bunch of videos pop up here and there. Yeah. In the, in the summer, I usually do like a vegetable garden outside. Yeah. Do, do the same principles apply to your vegetable garden as they do like just regular plants? I wish I could answer that question for you, but I'm really bad with like uh, vegetables and herbs. I've never really, you know, dove into those uh, things, but I, I know that they, one, they like a lot of bright light. Um, I, I don't know how fast they grow and stuff, but I had this banana plant during, um, in 2020 or 2021. And the thing is literally a, a, a plant that grows bananas, like a banana tree. Uh, but it turns out banana plant is actually the world's largest herb. The thing got over like seven feet tall in my apartment. I just couldn't <laughs> with it at that point. But yeah, uh, I wish I could answer that question for you. <laughs> for your ch your channel, Kevin, Plants with Kevin, what was your, your strategy for, for developing your channel? Well, you know, I, I spent 17, 17 years in TV news. And so after leaving TV news almost two years ago now, um, I really wanted to still keep my social channels, like uh, my Facebook, uh, my Instagram that I had connected to viewers. And I had such a strong relationship with viewers, especially here in Denver, having spent 13 of those uh, 17 years here uh, covering news. And I have one of the largest, to this day, I think it's still one of the largest uh, uh, social channels for any TV journalist in the state, I guess now former TV journalists at that point. Um, but yeah, I had a reach of something like several million people. And so uh, putting out one post would get a lot of clicks. And so, you know, I wanted to be able to take the knowledge that I had been learning about plants and transfer that over to the viewers who I had a connection with over those 13 years and still be able to uh, show them into my world, especially even more, I guess, of an intimate way now, having them into my apartment and giving them tours around, showing them how to do different plant stuff. And so it was a way to keep connected to the people who I've been connected with for over a decade. How big is your apartment? Like how, you know, and how much, where do you keep your plants? Like, do you keep them like on the, on the dining room table? On the, where on the... <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's carefully curated. I'm very big into interior design. My apartment's about 900 square feet, a little over 900. And then, uh, but the, the trick is, is that I have 22 foot high ceilings and I'm five foot mm. six. So if you have high ceilings and even if you don't, one of my suggestions is to always take advantage of vertical space. If you're looking to add in more plants. So I'll have them along the walls, um, this and that. I try to keep like my table clear and stuff like that, but yeah, they're everywhere. Uh, in fact, if you head to my um, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash plants with Kevin, one of the more recent videos, I think my second to last recent video was my updated home tour because I like to switch up the style every season for how I'm going to showcase my plants. 
Uh, and I recently did one of those videos. Um, I believe it's got, yeah, it had been a, within 24 hours. It had over like a, a 1,100 views, I believe, or something like that. So those home tour ones are always really popular. People really mm -hmm. like those, just kind of seeing how people style their homes with plants. Because I've seen so many of those designs where people just have grow tents everywhere and this and that. And it just kind of looks like a mess. In fact, if I didn't have my Zoom background blurred right now, it would look like a mess back there because I was <laughs> moving around plants all this weekend and then just kind of got in the way with everything else in life, you know? So yeah. I'm going to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, I just, I, you, you're talking about these plants that, that are growing and stuff like that. And all I keep thinking about is the Geico commercial with the invasive weeds. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Going, around the, <laughs> going, going around the house. Oh, there are times when I just have to hack up my plants because they just get too large. And it's, you know, that, that comes into the propagation process where you can just take those, those hackings, those cuttings and just turn them into new plants. So, <laughs> so you're also a content producer at Robert half, which is one of the largest uh, finance and accounting firms in the world. What do you exactly do you do as a content producer for them? And um, what is that experience like? Oh, it's been an amazing experience. It's been almost two years now. And uh, perhaps the best decision, it is was the best decision I could have made um, transitioning into a different career because it's, it's so interesting to see a world outside of, of TV news, especially a world that I was so unfamiliar with. And when creating content, it can be, you know, for internal purposes, external purposes, uh, our country, our different offices uh, throughout around the globe. Now, I help create content for all of them, uh, mostly here in the U.S., though, but over 18 other countries. And so it's interesting and really awesome getting to work with those countries, uh, getting to learn how to how their way of putting about content happens and it's can be different here uh there than here in the u.s and so getting to experience that and uh getting to learn every day is is like a new adventure because i always learn something new uh mm -hmm. now like i was saying i worked in the tv news for 17 years and you know when the pandemic started and we all had to work from home and i worked from home for i think 450 something days uh as a reporter and during that time especially during lockdown in the first few months we weren't allowed to go outside, obviously, to shoot new B-roll. So everybody was using the same file footage over and over for their stories. And I'm sure, you know, the same uh, rang true over in Syracuse, at, you know, WSTM, WTVH and WSYR, uh, where everybody was using the same B-roll over and over. And so I wanted to look for a different way of being able to showcase my stories. So what I did uh, while being home by myself during lockdown was I taught myself how to uh, create all these animations and graphics and maps and all that stuff to really enhance the stories, to show different visuals and to tell stories in a different way that was still visual, uh, but perhaps in a different way that people weren't as used to uh, at that point. And so mm. that skill set that I picked up and teaching myself that over several months landed me my job at Robert Half. And, you know, now I, I work from home completely, which I absolutely love uh, to get to be around my plants. And it's, you know, uh, it's always just kind of neat to be able to be in an environment like this, but also I get to take those skills and apply it to something that I love doing, which is content creation. What kind of content are you creating? Like what exactly do they have you doing on a, you know, on a daily basis? Oh, it varies. It's all over the map uh, from accolade videos, promotions and stuff like that. For instance, I mean, we were such a amazing company um, and constantly constantly i kid you not winning a award after award from fortune from forbes all these different places time and so we'll look for different ways to come up with how we're going to go about creating videos uh, regarding these accolades uh in sort of a public relations marketing type of sense uh, and, mm -hmm. But also then taking that, if we win a global accolade, which we do all the time, and then applying that into uh, different ways of being able to showcase that in our different countries, whether that's, uh, you know, transcribing them into different languages uh, or showing different visuals and stuff. I'm working on a, a bunch of different stuff right now, including uh, a video for our team in Canada uh, where they have a big uh, seminar coming up, I believe it's later this month. And so getting to highlight kind of their success story uh, throughout the over the last year for 2024 is is really neat. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of just about telling Robert Half's story. 
you know, and that's really what I love doing is storytelling. And this is a different way of being able to do that. And it's been so rewarding. You spoke about how different countries consume or, or expect to see content a certain way and that it differs from how it's presented in the United States. Uh, what are what are some of those differences that that you need to be aware of when you're when you're putting content together? Well, one that I recently learned was um, after having a meeting with our office in uh, Tokyo was how the sentence structure is different in the Japanese language, where it starts off with pretty much like the end of the sentence first, and then you get into the beginning of the second uh, sentence last. And so structuring everything around how we're so used to here in America and in other countries across the globe uh, that way, then having to, you know, kind of find different ways of going about doing that, but just being mm -hmm. more cognizant. And then there's just different um, uh, sentence structure stuff like the French language. Uh, uh, if you have an exclamation mark or a question mark at the end of a sentence, there has to be an unbreakable space in between the last word and that uh, uh, exclamation mark or question mark. Stuff that I never in a million years <laughs> would have thought I would have known, but here I am, you know, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> Let, let's i know you mentioned about your career in, in journalism um let's go back to where it all began so you, you mentioned you grew up in rome new york so what led to your interest while you were growing up what led to your interest in journalism and and to suny Oswego? yeah since i was a, a little kid i had always wanted to be a tv reporter i would watch the local news wktv uh, and wsyr uh, back home in, in Rome with my mom all the time. And, you know, Central New York is one of those places where so many people watch the local news. And uh, it, it's, you know, had always been on in our home uh, growing up as a kid. And so that had been the career path that I had always wanted. And so, uh, you know, everybody was always, you know, uh, going on and on about SU and Syracuse University and their journalism school and this and that. But, I also learned early on that at SU, you're not allowed to join, I believe it's called Orange TV, which would be their version of WTOP uh, or Citrus TV, something like that, mm. um, that you weren't allowed to join that until your junior year of college. And so I didn't want that kind of experience. I wanted hands-on experience where I was able to just dive right in, you know, start doing on-air reports, anchoring, uh, all this sort of stuff early on. And WTOP provided that. And it was the best experience that I could have asked for in a college, uh, hands-on experience that landed me a job as a part-time reporter at the CBS affiliate in Watertown, my junior year of college at Oswego. And so rather than having to start doing the campus TV station, my junior year at Syracuse University, I mm -hmm. was actually reporting for a CBS affiliate uh, my junior year. And so I was driving back and forth between Oswego and Watertown 32 hours a week I was reporting there on the weekends and then on Fridays and Mondays. And so I was going back and forth, back and forth my junior year uh, and throughout my senior year. And then 2006 comes along and, you know, was offered the job at WSYR uh, down in Syracuse. And I went there for, I believe it was two, two and a half or three years, two and a half or three years. And I had a blast getting to uh, cover news back home, especially at the TV station that I grew up watching um, and, you know, getting to work with a legend like Rod Wood, who was just one of the most amazing, amazing people that uh, ever had the opportunity to work with and uh, miss him dearly. Great, great guy. Just super, super funny. Uh, but getting to have that experience was excellent. But my my station that I wanted to work at when I was at Oswego and I would watch them online all the time was KUSA uh, 9 News in Denver and the other affiliates here in Denver. So I spent, uh, I was offered a job at KUSA, uh, went, worked there for five and a half years, then went over to the Fox affiliate uh, where I spent seven years. And I had really wonderful experiences at both stations. And what was awesome was that during the 13 years that I was here, uh, I would say for about 10 of those years, I my job was mostly as a feature reporter where I would travel the entire state of Colorado and do all these little feature stories in these small towns, uh, stories about, you know, a cat being a mayor of a town and ice festivals and stuff like that. Just the most random stuff that never in a million years did, you know, I think I get covered. But I've been to pretty much every town in the state at least 
once or twice. Um, I don't know how many miles I logged, whether I have more plants than miles. I don't know. It's anybody's <laughs> guess, you know, but it was a, it was a, it was a cool experience. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had that career. As you mentioned your experience in Colorado, uh, going from town to town, what, what, what stories uh, do you think of most often when you think about that part of your career? I think about the stories in the smallest towns that had probably a small impact on the state as a whole, but had such a huge impact on that community. But being able to showcase and tell those stories in such a unique way would make everybody in the state care. And that's why that segment um, would it carried on for so long and why they allowed me to continue traveling the state and doing these feature stories. Uh, one of my favorites was, I think it was from 2018 or 2019, and uh, it was about this little kid in Northwest Colorado who was uh, struggling with this uh, really awful uh, disease. And I, I forget the exact name of that. I want to say it's called Duchenne's disease, something along that. And um, he was bound to a wheelchair and uh, he was in middle school. And they were playing against their uh, football against their hometown rival, which was uh, Steamboat Springs. And they were, of course, in uh, Craig, Colorado. And so both of the teams came together and without the kid knowing he was such a, they called him like their honorary coach. Cause he would just sit there and he would just be like, come on guys, come on, get out there and kick some butt and kick their butt and this and that. And uh, they came together and for the uh, last touchdown of the game, they had him do it. And so you had all these, you know, the, the, the competing team at Steamboat, um, all the players like going after him, but throwing themselves before they could get close to him. And it was just so heartwarming. And then the kid uh, started tearing up at the end and being able to capture moments like that um, really, really is the things that like I really enjoyed the most was being able to take a slice of humanity and show people that there's really a lot of good in the world. I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, when you watch the news, it's just all, you know, uh, awful stuff. Right. But I believe that there's more good news in the world than there is bad news. The reason why we see bad news all the time is because, you know, that's what you know, people want to know the craziness of what's going on in the world. If you had good news on all the time, you know, I don't know if as many people would watch, which is unfortunate, but it's just the way it is. You said that you wanted to work at, you know, KUSA, like you had thought about that's what you, that's a place that you wanted to be. Like what made you choose that that's like when you were younger, that that was a place that you wanted to be. You wanted to work in Denver, Colorado. You know, and it, it wasn't just KUSA. Um, all the stations here had such a huge reputation for being such great storytelling shops. Uh, you know, uh, all of these TV stations that have some of the best photographers in the country, mm -hmm. uh, the best writers and they just told news differently where it was almost like watching like this engaging movie uh, for each story compared to, you know, and there are some really wonderful storytellers back in central New York, but you know, it can be kind of generic when you watch the local news. And I find it rather quite boring uh, to watch the news uh, unless it's something where there is storytelling involved And Denver and Minneapolis were the two markets where storytelling was, you know, that was the the big thing, the big draw to go to those cities. So it was either going to be Denver or Minneapolis. Denver was my first choice and fortunately ended up here. Uh, but yeah, every station in Denver, though, is really excellent at storytelling. There's so many really wonderful photographers, editors, producers, uh, reporters and anchors at each station here in this market. So that's what the draw was. Did you have any specific professors that stood out to you that helped you along the way at Oswego and what helped you prepare for a career in journalism? Ron Hastings, uh, Ron Grafe, Professor Grafe, as we knew him, uh, he was excellent. Um, and he was, he was a reporter, you know, he had worked in uh, TV stations in Syracuse and he was just so knowledgeable about what, how to structure a package as they're called a news story. Uh, Jerry Condra, who served as a, uh, general manager, news director at so many stations around the country. Um, they taught me uh, the fundamentals of what I needed to know in order to um, succeed in the industry. But it was really, really once I started working in the industry itself, where you pick up the actual stuff that you need to know. It's like professors and colleges can really try to teach you as much as they possibly can. But the fact of the matter, and I think this rings true for every industry, right? Is that it's experience that's really going to mm -hmm. uh, pull you in and teach you the most. And that, that was uh, 
also uh, one of the big draws about going to Oswego was going to be able to work at WTOP as a, as a student, getting to work at the campus TV station uh, and getting that hands-on experience because that in itself really helped get me ready for my first job uh, at WWNY TV in Watertown. That's why I always used to hate, right? When people like you'd apply for a job after college or during college and people would be like, well, you don't have the experience, but I can't get the experience if you don't give me the job when yeah. it's a, when it's a, when it's yeah. a, when it's a, when it's a literally a, in, a, you know, incoming, you know, you low bottom of the barrel job, but you don't want to hire me because I don't have the experience, but you don't give me the experience. And then a lot of these internships, you know, it's not so much about getting to do a whole lot of stuff. It's, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it really, and I did have a lot of internships. Unfortunately, I was able to do quite a bit um, during those uh, experiences as well, which also helped um, uh, propel me for my career. Throughout your various stops, you've been, you've talked about photography, you know, photogs and editors and writers and producers. And Kevin, you've done all of that. You've done at the same time. So <laughs> like you, you began with channel nine with your, with like the backpack journalism approach. Uh, and so what, what led you to prefer to do more or less everything on your own versus, you know, having to delegate some of the work to editors, producers, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So as a, as a backpack journalist, same thing as a multimedia journalist, same, same job, just, you know, different title. Mm. Uh, it, it, what really drew me into it was I really love videography, photography, um, and being able to see these stories that were done by such excellent markets, such as Minneapolis, uh, Denver, Seattle, also at the time, uh, and get to see how they really put their stories together. I knew that, you know, while there were really great photographers in the markets I worked at uh, early on in my career in my early 20s, um, they weren't putting together stories like that and trying to teach somebody uh, who had been working in the industry how to do that would, you know, just be a nightmare to begin with, right? And so it's like, mm -hmm. I'd rather just be able to do all this stuff myself and really take that skill set and just kind of take it to the next level. It also... Um, I looked at it as kind of like job security also, you know, TV news was a, is a, was an interesting um, industry back then. And nobody really kind of knew how things were going to shift around and all that stuff. And I felt knowing how to do more would just kind of make me more valuable. And it really did. Um, and being able to be your own videographer, your own editor, um, your own writer just kind of allows you and sets you up for success in that instance where the more you know, you know, the more you're going to be able to do. And I really loved each aspect of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just fun. You know, I like being able to go by myself. I'm a very introverted person, despite having been a TV reporter for 17 years. And so I like being by myself a lot and uh, getting to have those experiences where, you know, I can say, I put that story together by myself and I'm really proud of it. Now, this is the serious part of the show here. Uh, we have very important <laughs> questions to ask you. Um, during your stay at Oswego, did you enjoy the chicken patty sandwich at the dining hall? Um, I did enjoy the chicken patty sandwich at the dining hall, but of course, okay. you know, nothing would compare to the Oswego sub shop, you know? Oh, well, I mean, so you got to give us what your chicken patty sandwich looked like, what, what your ingredients were on it. I'm basic. You tell us I'm a very what? basic person. Very basic. That's it. Yeah, chicken patty would just have you know the chicken patty with um, either barbecue sauce or ketchup. You know, that's it. it. It's same thing with burgers. I'm the most boring uh, eater in the world. I get complaints about it all the time. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the thing I liked at the sub shop was the uh, buffalo chicken sub. That thing was like you know that thing was so. that thing was very comforting <laughs> during college. <laughs> We could uh, all say that we've spent plenty of time at the sub shop and, and yeah. having plenty of chicken patties in the dining hall <laughs> for sure. I mean, look, those those chicken patties are delicious. I'm not gonna, you know, but they were amazing. I'd have one right now if if, if it was here. <laughs> but alas, I'm in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we'll, we'll ship it out to you. <laughs> It'll arrive frozen, probably. That's honestly. right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if the sub shop can get a sub down to Al Roker, we can get we can get a chicken patty across hey, over to Denver. Right, Kevin who? I'm, I'm sorry, you want to send this to Kevin who? He's with Al Roker. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know who I am? Damn it! Yeah, right now. <laughs> ah, I have plants. <laughs> well, it, it's it's funny, Kevin, at Channel Nine. So you and I sat next to each other at the web yep. desk, uh, and really, Channel Nine had one of the best websites in the country at that oh, time yeah in the, in the late aughts uh but there were so many oswego grads in that newsroom 
It was, it, it was you know, it, which was which is probably why uh, Channel Nine to this day is still, you know, the number one station in in the market. Yeah. I believe, and you know, our news director at the time he was an Oswego grad. And, uh, you know, he he knew what Oswego would provide to a student and what it would teach them. And he was a smart man to hire, you know, all those people from Oswego. I mean, it really paid off in the end. And I don't know, I, you know, I do like Syracuse University. I think it's a really cool school and stuff like that. And it has so many amazing talent, obviously, who come there throughout the decades. But uh, I guarantee you, you, it'll be tough to find a harder worker than Oswego grad, you know, who really wants to prove themselves in an industry. Yeah, we've actually heard that quite a bit from uh, alumni. I think we are kind of, you know, in the industry, the hardest working bunch without yeah, question. I would agree 100%. I mean, I, any person that I uh, knew from Oswego, it uh, doesn't matter what industry they were in, they've, they've all lived really well in their careers, whether or not they stayed in their career or left and, and went somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, that hard work aspect that uh, is ingrained into your mind at Oswego is something that mm -hmm. kind of stays with you. Absolutely. Uh, Kev, wanted to wrap up by circling back to your YouTube channel, Plants yeah. with Kevin. So I subscribe to a lot of YouTube channels and I know every video I watch, they they tell you, please, please like and subscribe. Right? <laughs> please, please like and subscribe. But how actually how important is that to you as a YouTube channel host that people do that? So, so important. Um, and I, you know, I've only done this channel for, oh gosh, a little over a year now. And um, or no, maybe it's been closer to two, yeah, a year and a half, I would say a year and a half closer, getting closer to two years now. But yeah, like you were saying during that time, close to a half million views or something like that. And it's really important to get those people to engage with your content. In fact, the moment that I see on my phone that you have a new YouTube comment uh, uh, from the YouTube studio app, I immediately open up and respond to it because the faster you respond, the, the more it's going to see and pop up in people's feeds and that you're engaged with your viewers. And so, yeah, uh, liking and subscribing to my channel would be a really great thing, guys. I'd appreciate it. It's youtube.com slash plants with Kevin. And then I, uh, recently launched a website about two months ago, plantswithkevin.com, where I take a lot of that content and expand on it there. Whereas I might not, uh, take, you know, as much time to explain the ins and outs of every single plant that I'm focusing in on. Um, but on the website, it allows me to not only feature the video, but also to have more detailed list uh, for care tips and all that stuff. And that's mm -hmm. been a fun uh, adventure. That's the next step. And, you know, uh, gosh, it was probably, I want to say six, seven months ago, six to eight months ago, where uh, YouTube started paying me for my content because it started getting as many views and this and that. And so, you know, the more content that you produce and all this stuff, it just kind of gets um, uh, enveloped in there together and all that stuff. And so subscribing to a person's channel, liking, commenting always helps out, regardless of whether or not it's a plant channel or or anything else. So, yeah, follow so, your favorite YouTubers. <laughs> so I was going to ask if 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 your channel is you if you've monetized your channel, but you've you obviously mentioned that. But how did you get it out there? Like, you know, you started from scratch, right? You had no, you had no, nobody viewing it at the time, right? How did you get, get the word out that you started this channel? That's where that, you know, my connection with all those viewers from all that time in TV news really mm -hmm. came into play and sharing it on my professional Facebook page, my Instagram and all that stuff really helped um, uh, get those views up. And I think just also like a lot of uh, plant YouTubers will just sit there with their camera in front of them uh, with a plant and talk about it for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And it's just a standard shot. I go all out with my content, you know, it's like a highly produced type of type of video. And so the more that I do of that, it makes it set aside and set apart from the other plant YouTubers. And so that's been a real big focus of mine, but that's also, you know, where my skill set uh, in TV news, my skill set at Robert Half, where I'm creating all this content really comes into play um, and uh, delivering really good quality content is so, so important. Good audio, good video, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm focusing on now. And it takes a little bit more time, but it's, it's worth it in the end. And do you use like a TV type of camera to 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 record your video, or do you use just basically no, a camera on the computer? 
Yeah, I, I use my um, my iPhone, you know, it shoots in 4K. I also use a GoPro sometimes, uh, which shoots in 4K, and I'll uh, do multi-camera shots, but then I'll do a lot in post-production. You know, I added on Final Cut Pro, and so I'll add in some um, uh, different effects and stuff like that to really sharpen the video, the the color and all this stuff, add in graphics, animation, all this sort of stuff, just to make sure that it's not boring. Uh, I can't tell you, I mean, as much plant YouTube content as I consume, it just gets really boring sometimes. I mean, if it wasn't for the educational aspect of needing to know exactly how to care for that plant, you know, it's, I, I don't know if I would, if I would watch it as much, but yeah, more and more YouTubers though, plant YouTubers are really upping their, their content creation quality. And that's really nice to see because I think it's just beneficial for everyone involved. How long does it take for you to put together a, let's say like a, your latest episode? So you're, it's about 20, 25 minutes, right? Yeah. That you have. So how, <laughs> how much, yeah. How much effort does it take to, to, to boil that down into that episode? That one took, um, that one took, uh, uh, I was working on it here and there for a couple of days, you know, a couple mm -hmm. hours here and there. And so, you know, filming, it's one thing, then editing it together. I'll go into it with an idea of how I want it to look how I want it stacked. And, you know, you might laugh at the fact of like uh, 29 minutes, but what's interesting, and I, I learned this through research and all this stuff that YouTube provides you is that, you know, in this TikTok and uh, uh, type of generation that we live in where people will um, move from one video to the next in two to three seconds time is the average time that people wow. will, will spend mm. on a video. Plant people, when it comes to video, if your video is less than five minutes, they're not going to watch it. Uh, the views wow. are really low. Yeah, they want, and I, and I should have known this, you know, early on before I started creating plant content, I'm like, when I watch plant videos, I'm not looking for a short video. I'm looking for like a 30 minute to 45 minute video where they're going to really go in depth on it. And I'll sit there and I'll watch them, you know, I'll just have them on my TV or on my computer. And yeah, plant people are, uh, we're an interesting bunch, but we enjoy our content. <laughs> Here's another question for you. Yeah. You know, not that I know that much about plants, but I've heard you know people say this before. Do you talk to the plants? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. Um, you know, more, more often than not, no, um, because, you know, they're, they're plants. But at the same time, when you talk <laughs> to a plant, there is a reason behind wanting to talk to a plant is that... Um, you know, you're, you're, you're releasing exactly what they're looking to absorb. And so, you know, they're, they're providing oxygen to us. We're providing the, the carbon dioxide, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so uh, it's beneficial. Um, and, but yeah, maybe like once a month, I'll remember to talk to a plant while I'm like cleaning off its leaves or something, but you know, usually I'm listening to music while I'm doing my plant chores. <laughs> so you're singing and then that's just kind of yeah. like, Right. The carbon dioxide is coming out that way. I, I do not have a lovely singing voice, so I am not singing to these plants. I don't want to scare them away. You know, I want them to keep on growing. <laughs> you're, but you're by yourself in concrete. Exactly. Walls, so it's no, like yeah. you're in the shower it's almost. Just start and blasting the music and that voice, you know. <laughs> plants won't judge you. Yeah. <laughs> they're the only Or ones. will they? How do you yeah. know? Yeah. I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well Ke kevin thank you so much uh for for joining us this was this was a lot of fun thanks for having uh, me. and best wishes on the youtube channel thank you yes. so much you guys Good stay luck. warm there in oswego we'll try <laughs> <Yeah>. take care <laughs> bye guys and that was kevin torres uh award emmy award-winning multimedia journalist content creator at robert half and uh, creator and host of the youtube channel plants with Kevin and a fellow Oswego alumni. So please check out his uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash plants with Kevin. We'll link it up on, on the episode on our website at throwingbagels.com. Subscribe uh, and like. Yes, please yeah. subscribe yes. and like. That's it sounds how... like we need to start a YouTube channel too, guys. Oh, we can, no. We can have people subscribe and like us. But we're not, a, we don't show video. So it's kind of, kind of. You can do animation. We yeah, <laughs> that would be pretty cool. That would take a lot of work, but that would be pretty yeah, cool. We'll just have like three bagels and we'll put mouths on them and they'll just talk. <laughs> we'll be talking bagels. And then we're just if we're BSing something, the cream cheese will just come out. <laughs> that's 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 the that's the BS coming out. <laughs> so it's it's January. Which means next month is baseball. Yes. If you can believe it. Or is it yes? I don't know. Oh, I haven't yeah. decided yet. Yes. It's May. 
it's uh, okay. We'll see what happens. Normally, I look yeah. forward to February. Right now, I'm like, do I really want to look forward to February right now? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Look, the bar is low, right? Very low. Yes. Very low. I, 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 like I said to you guys, I think I said to you guys yesterday, I, I almost feel like the Wilpons have brought the team back at this point. <laughs> We're back it's shopping in the, shopping in the bargain bin. Man. It's so like, like I get, I get last year was like rough, you know, and you spent money and didn't work out, but you know, and we lost out on Yamamoto and that's no one's fault. You know, that, that he's just a shyster who, you know, used the Mets to get, to get money from the, from the Dodgers. But it, it, you know, like they're, they're not, they're not, they're delaying with Alonzo, you know, they're dilly dallying. No one knows what they're going to do. I'm really afraid they're going to actually trade him or let him go. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man, like you can't, I, mean, I don't, I, I literally have no clue what the Mets are doing, and I'm afraid that Stearns has kind of. It's almost that that I'm equating it to the Knicks, to the point in a, in a way of remember when Phil Jackson was like had Dolan's ear and was just like telling him all this stuff, and Dolan was like, yeah, 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 you know. I feel like Stearns is like, listen, I can build the Mets in the way I did it in Milwaukee and sir. And Cohen's like, Hmm. Okay. And then I'm thinking, but he won nothing in Milwaukee. So it does no good. It's not like he won a world series. Yeah. All right. So be competitive and what get knocked out in the first round every year. At least we're making the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, you can look at it know. that way too. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I mean, yeah, he knows how to build a farm system. Right, which is I know what Cohen wants, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm all for building the farm system, but at the same time, man, come on, you got your you want to build the farm system, you want your homegrown players? Well, I got one for you right here, Pete Alonzo. There you go. <laughs> There's a homegrown player for you. It's true. I I really hope that they lock him up before spring training begins, because once it begins, he's not going to sign. They're not. And then- they're not going to do it. I'm telling you, they're not doing it. First of all, Scott Boris right. is yeah. his agent, number one. Yeah, I know. You know, once he switched, they had their opportunity, right, before he switched to Boris. Once mm-hmm. he switched to Boris, it was all downhill from there. The guy is like a bloodsucker. It's just <laughs> like, like, I mean, look, if I was a if I was a professional baseball player, I'd want him as my agent too. The guy gets, yeah. guy gets his players the most money. He's great at his job. But as a fan, you know, you're, you're like, oh, God. Boris is his agent. Great. This is going to be a disaster. You know? All right. I think that'll do it for this edition of the Throwing Bagels podcast. Thanks again to Kevin Torres, host of the YouTube channel Plants with Kevin and fellow Oswego alum for joining us. Uh, Also, thanks again to my sister-in-law, Lee, for helping prep us with little plant questions here and there. We appreciate that. You can catch us online anytime, throwingbagels.com. You can email us, throwingbagelspodcast at gmail.com. we got a blog coming up next week. Uh, I think that's, what is it, Jason? Is it your turn? I'm, it I'm my, up next. It, you're on next. Okay. So that's coming out. And then on the next Throwing Bagels podcast, we will chat with Odyssey COO Susan Larkin. You may have heard that name from our uh, conversation with Dana Murphy who works at Amperwave, which is an Odyssey company. So uh, Susan Larkin will join us, fellow Oswego alum as well. She'll join us on the next edition of the Throwing Bagels podcast, and we are really looking forward to that. Yep, looking forward to it. Yep. So we'll we'll let Jason go now so he can watch the rest of uh, the Michigan, whatever, whoever they're playing. I don't even know. I don't. uh, Washington Huskies. Washington Huskies. Okay. That's right. And so, the uh, next, hopefully, next quarterback of the New York Giants, Hennix. All right, we'll see. It's we'll debatable. See. We'll see. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. So long. Bye.